economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm Jacob Caudill, the undergraduate scholar for the Gordon Institute. With me today is Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gordon Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics, Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, and Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Professor of Economic Education and Research. All right, so we wanted to delve into some family issues and faith issues And I heard an interesting thing about the experience machine. You might remember we talked about a philosopher, Nozick, who I'll let uh, Justin talk about a little bit more, but he had something called the experience machine. And so we want to think about today's world and all of these machines and virtual reality and Facebook and entertainment that we get, all of the navel gazing that we do, is that going to have some material effects on us uh, long-term? And so... Justin, why don't you take it away with explaining this experience machine that Nozick came up with? Okay, great. So the experience machine is a thought experiment. It isn't an an actual machine that Nozick possessed. So just to get that right out of the way. So it's a thought experiment and it's an attempt to respond to hedonism, which is a theory of well-being. So hedonism is a theory that says you are well off to the extent that you are happy. Sometimes this is couched in terms of pleasure, but in both cases, it's supposed to be the case that happiness or pleasure is some kind of psychological experience that you're undergoing. And the point of a theory of well-being is that, you know, a theory of well-being tells you what you ought to strive for in life, what makes a life worth living, right? That's what well-being is supposed to tell you. And hedonism has a very simple answer to what makes a life well off from the inside, and that is happiness or pleasure. But usually happiness is is the um, more accepted version of this. Now, Nozick said, okay, hedonists, you seem to think that you are well off to the extent that you are happy. What if I had a machine, we'll call it the experience machine, And the point of the experience machine is you can plug your head into it and the experience machine will simulate any kind of experience that you would want for yourself. So if you want to go skydiving, skydiving itself is a little uh, dangerous. Why not just plug into the experience machine? You can go skydiving that way, right? Um, You can get all the thrills, all the subjective experience of your skydiving, you can get that all from the the comfort of the experience machine. Now, Nozick pressed this further and he said, you know, would you want to get in the experience machine for a day? And it seems like a lot of people say, yes, there's a lot of things that maybe I would want to do that you know, maybe are a little risky to do actually in the real world. So I'll just do the ex- have the ex- go into the experience machine instead. But Nozick notes that if you are a real hedonist, you would actually, he says, have to accept the proposition that the best thing for you to do 
would be to plug into the experience machine for the rest of your life, right? Uh, because mm -hmm. in the experience machine, we can program the experience machine such that it gives you the highest ratio of pleasurable experiences or whatever for the rest of your life. We can simulate the life that you want to live. And better yet, you know, once you plug in, we can also erase this part of your mind that, you know, lets you know that you plugged into the machine. So you won't know that you're in the experience machine, but your life will be going great. Right. So does that part make, does that part make sense so far? Yeah. Um, sounds great. Okay. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so when I'm talking to my students about this and I ask them, you know, so what do you guys think? Would you like to uh, plug into the experience machine? A lot of them say things like, well, no, I don't know if it's really safe. And I'll say like, what do you mean you don't know it's, if it's safe? It's a theoretical machine in a thought experiment. Like, <laughs> there's no safety issues here. Let's just assume it is safe. And then some of them raise the objection where they say something like, well, I actually don't want my life to be one where, you know, I win all the blue ribbons and get all the promotions. What I would like, you know, is something more like where I have to struggle a little bit at the beginning of my life. And, you know, I have to work really hard for things. I don't want a life that is pure pleasure on 10 the whole time. And the response to that is great because you won't believe what kind of experience I can program for you inside of this experience machine. I can program for you an experience where you will struggle a little bit in the beginning, but then lo and behold, you know, you will come out on top at the end, exactly that experience that you were just talking mm. about. Right. So the objections that I've just listed are things like safety and that's a non-objection, right? Because mm -hmm. it's a thought experiment. We can just stipulate that that's not an objection. And the second one, usually the one I've just described, like, well, those aren't kind of the experiences that I would want. That's not a very good objection either, because that's saying, well, um, I would want a different set of experiences than what the experiences in the experience machine would feel like. And we can say, well, tell us what you want, we can simulate that, right? Whatever kind of experience you want, we can simulate that to such a degree that it will be indistinguishable to you from actually doing that thing. Now, Nozick wasn't saying, wouldn't it be awesome if we had this experience machine? Nozick intended this thought experiment to be a counter example to Hedonism, and in fact, a what's called a reductio of uh, in our in in terms of like the name of the argument of hedonism. He's saying if hedonism were correct, you would have to think it was a great idea for you to plug into this experience machine for the rest of your life. But he says most people that I talk to don't want to plug into the experience machine for the rest of their life. Therefore there must be something more than what life feels like from the inside. That is, there must be something more to life than mere experience that makes a life worth living that we think that the experience machine leaves out. So does that make sense about like what the theory is, how the experience machine is supposed to refute that theory and why he thinks the experience machine argument refutes it? The theory says the only thing that matters is experience. 
And Nozick says, great, let's have a uh, imaginary machine that gives you those experiences. Since those experiences are, are supposed to be the only thing that matters, you should want to do this. And he says, most people say, uh, I still don't want to do it. And he says, well, that means that there must be something more than those experiences which you're after in life. Yeah, there was an old saying of the guy that I used to work with in a restaurant that said, he who dies with the most toys at the end of life wins. <laughs> and I think he was basically, you know, we're using experiences here. He was kind of putting it in materialistic terms, but uh, that, that was his philosophy that probably falls uh, somewhere in that realm. Yeah, one of the things that I think is important here to note is that the experience machine, these are simulations, right? So sometimes I think it would be better if we called it the simulation machine rather than the experience machine. Because uh -huh. um, we do have a lot of people who say things like, well, what I want out of, life, out of life is like having cool experiences. I want to climb Half Dome or whatever. And yeah. Nozick is saying, even those people don't want to do the experience machine. They don't want to simulate climbing Half Dome. They want to climb half dome, right? Yeah. So one one thing that came to mind that I'd like to see how you parse out or whether Nozick parse out is the idea of certainty with this. So with the struggle early and then move to pleasure, that there'd be a hundred percent certainty that that's the way it's going to go. And so what I'm sensing is that there's a difference between is, where does uncertainty play into it? Another way. I could was question I was going to ask is whether you could have it programmed so that there's a random experiences so that it's not pre-programmed ahead of time, but there's, let's say a thousand different experiences, skydiving, bull riding, blah, blah, blah. And each day or each moment you're going to randomly get one of those so that you face some uncertainty of what pleasurable experience you're going to have on a, on a different day. Is that, has that brought up in part of his thought experiment? Well, first of all, remember, we can just wipe your mind of the day that you programmed the experience machine. So it's all going to seem like it's all new to you anyway. Right? Okay. Uh, but okay. even if you wanted to like do that too, I mean, it's not like we have to look at the owner's manual of the experience machine and say, can this experience machine do that? We can just say, sure, why not have the experience machine be able to do that too? It's a thought experiment. So yeah. And it probably wouldn't make sense for you to, you know, want to plan out everything uh, ahead of time. But what you do want to be sure of, what most people want out of their life is a kind of general trajectory of it, right? Where you want it to be a series of accomplishments that lead to something. And you're right that in the real world, most of us, you know, it's a fact that our lives are uncertain and that we don't know that that's the case, right? Yeah. And the allure of the, of the experience machine is something like, well, wouldn't it be great to guarantee that that's the case? even while at the same time maintaining your own epistemic uncertainty, you won't know that that's going to be the case. It'll seem to you like uh, for all you know, you could have not gotten the promotion or whatever. So the whole thing is that the experience for you in the experience machine has to be exactly like what it would have been like had you done that thing in the real world. And Nozick's point is it's still not enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. To me, I wonder to what extent like people think that other people are the thing that keeps them out of the experience machine. And so at root, like maybe if, if we could step behind a veil of ignorance, let's imagine, and you could choose to go through life that's beyond your control or go through this experience machine life. Maybe you choose the experience machine life, but having already lived the life that we're in, there are like connections that you've made that you don't want to disappear. 
And even though the experience machine might be able to fool you into thinking these are the same connections, you know before stepping in that they won't be. And so I don't know what you think about that. I think that at least a significant portion of people's like reticence to do this would be like their family, I think, or their friends, something like that. Do you agree? I think it's even stronger than that. Okay. Um, so surely, I mean, everyone's going to deny it if you say, yeah, we'll just we'll put you in the experience machine. You'll think everything's the same. We're going to kill everybody you know in the real world, but you'll think it's fine, <laughs> right? So then they won't agree to it. But they, they also won't agree to it. And you're right if you say things like, oh yeah, your real family will miss you or something like that too, right? But I yeah. think even, and this is something that Nozick brings up, it's not that we want the experience of being in a marriage, right? Or loving somebody. We actually want there to be a person on the other end of that experience of ours. Right. So I think that it's not just that people are worried about these specific people that they would lose connection with. It's that they want their experience of that connection to, even if they have no way of knowing it, be with somebody else who is an actual other person. Mm -hmm. You don't want just the experience of being married. You want to actually be married to somebody else. Yeah. You don't want your beliefs to be systematically wrong in this way, even if you can't tell. So, gosh, I got a number of different things going on. So does, does Nozick allow like a free trial period? <laughs> You know, try now for 30 days, money back guaranteed. My point with saying that is that, you know, people might have reservations of if it's an all or nothing, like you're going to jump into this experience machine. And then once you've made that choice, you're done. But can they, could they jump into the experience machine? And then after a 30 day trial, or maybe it's even a one year trial, you know, they're, they're pulled out of the machine, they're back to reality. And now they can decide because maybe the fictional reality wasn't as bad as they were thinking. Like maybe relational things weren't all they're cracked up to be when I, I didn't know how good this holographic wife of mine could be and how nice she could treat me and, and the experiences that I had. Is that, is that possible with this thought experiment? Yeah, but I think like the problem you're raising isn't really a problem. It's not like anybody comes back out of the experience machine and goes, wow, that sucked in there. I didn't know. You're saying like <laughs> that people are coming out and going, wow, it was actually kind of nice in there. Yes, that, that's exactly it, right? It'll be extremely nice. Now, the point is that if you have to choose between a real life and a life that's merely simulated, even though you can't tell the difference between the two, Nozick says, most people choose the real life. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. The, do you think that's right? And, and that's, that, I think this is a good spot for the first half that that's what we're going to circle back to. Right? Whether that Nozick's claim there about people wanting the real life is, is what we're seeing in today's culture or not. So I don't know if you got any last parting words before the half, Justin, I, or if that's a good cut. I just wanted to say that uh, I can't help but notice like, and our listeners will too, the, the Matrix connection here. Like obviously <laughs> there's been a whole movie created. Uh, maybe not exactly the same because actually like the people in the Matrix don't necessarily get to like pre-program it or all this stuff, but there's certainly like a fun red pill, blue pill analogy here. Not only the Matrix, right? But it's Plato's cave, right? Everyone's yep. ripping off. It's people ripping off, people ripping off Plato all the way down. Right. Um, <laughs> so. So what I will say before we go, though, is you were saying, do you think that's right? And I said, and what I want to say is, I think that's a great topic of discussion, because I think Nozick's argument works against hedonism, but I don't think his stronger claims are correct in the sense that mm. what I bet uh, Peter and Russ are going to raise. So, okay, that's in there. All right. We'll be back in just a bit. 
If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or reoccurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysucks.org. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. We have a high school offering now of a course that you can take uh, through Ottawa um, and earn some college credit. So we're looking for some uh, anxious high school students that want to explore some more economics and it's going to be uh, reasonably priced. I don't actually have it priced yet, so contact me later if you want to check that out and earn some college credit. That college credit will be transferable to any other university that your high school student uh, goes to. So um, give me a call if you'd like to get some more information on that. If you want other information about the Gordon Institute or Ottawa University, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. Please visit our website at 123povertysucks.org. There you will find our events, blog, and our swag shop. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysucks or on Facebook at Gordon Institute for updates on our activities and research. All right. So our cliffhanger was leaving us with what does our society look like? Uh, Nozick wrote this in the 70s, I think, and, and came up with these conclusions. Justin, why don't you polish off these weak and strong points that Nozick was making so we can see if they match up with 2021 and, and, and beyond here of where technology is bringing us. Okay, so I said I do think I, that Nozick's argument works against the hedonist, and I'll tell you why I think that. So remember, hedonism is the claim that the only thing that matters is happiness, where happiness is a subjective experience. And another way of uh, stating that would be something like, well, uh, the only thing that, that makes a life worth living is the experience of the individual from the inside living that life. So yep. we can ask, we can think about somebody who was talking about that trajectory of life that they wanted. Um, they said, you know, I want to struggle and I want to work hard. And the experience machine salesman can say, well, I can give you that life, right? Now we can ask a person like that, okay, would you want to get in the experience machine and have that a life just like that simulated? Or would you rather have a life like that out in the real world, right? Yeah. And I take it, almost everybody says, well, if I'm given two choices, one of which is a simulation, and one of which is, is actual, and those two choices are indistinguishable from the inside, but one of them is real and one of them is not then I think most people choose the real one. And I think it's easy to choose the real one, right? Do you want to be in love and be married? And do you want there to actually be another person on the end of that? Another being with subjective consciousness who, act who actually has those feelings towards you that it only seems like they do in the, in the other fork. And for the hedonist to be right, this has to be a coin flip for you, right? You have to have no preference between these two yeah, since okay. they are okay. identical experientially. And so since I think that is the easy choice to choose reality, I think Nozick is right that the hedonist does leave out something that the experience machine doesn't give you. And that's authenticity, right? That the world is like it seems to you and that your beliefs and desires have some sort of uh, referent in the actual world. Now, uh, the stronger claim. That's uh, well, let's, often... let's stay on the weak claim for just a sec, because sometimes okay. those arguments bother me a little bit. So I want you to clarify for me. 
Like, I, and I think you maybe said it at the end that you can't, when you ask a question like that um, of simulation or actual trajectory and you assume that the whole path is the same and, and then at least it'd be a coin flip for the, for the hedonists, it does seem to bury like any, like the reason why most people might say the actual is just because that's what they're used to. And so there's this kind of history that at least I know if you're going to somehow guarantee me this in the future, then there's a trust that I have in what I know. Whereas maybe the simulation would actually do it. Again, we can't even make the claim of better. So anyway, I, I hate those kind of arguments because they seem like just such a, a straw man, like fictitious thing. So I don't know if you can help me or not, or if I'm just not as smart as you, which is probably true. So if your worry is that it's like, playing on some kind of path dependence. You can ask this the same question in a different way is you can say to somebody like, uh, how has your life been going so far? And however they, you know, if they have a good life, they say, well, it's been going great. You can go, okay, well, we have two possibilities. One of them is that you're currently and have been for a long time in an experience machine. And the other one is that these things that you think you've done, you've, you've really done them, right? Which one of those two possibilities would you prefer to have been true or prefer to be true? Now, by definition, they are on whatever path that they're on, right? So it seems to get, maybe that eases that worry a little bit. But the point where we say, you know, the uh, hedonist has to be indifferent between those two, that is just a, by definition, that is what the hedonist is theoretically committed to. That is their most basic commitment. So the point of the thought experiment is to say, suppose they were experientially identical and the objection that, well, how would we know that? Well, forget how we know that. Just if they were experientially identical, except for this one other factor, one experience is authentic and the other is simulated, which would you want? It seems clear that most people without hesitation say, well, I'd want the real one. And, right. And, and that, so that brings me back to thinking like that's just written in, that's a reflection of us being, you know, if I want to go a little, little Christian here, images of God or that it's written into our nature, you know, they might not be a believer, but it's still written into their nature. So then we can talk about common grace versus saving grace. That It's just the way things are. You might disagree that it came from God, but I would argue that that's just part of our nature of of wanting the actual thing of not doing the coin flip. And, and then just like, like you're saying, I, I'm agreeing with Nazik here that we're, we're overturning the hedonist view. I'm totally with you on that. I, I do think that Nozick blows that up, I, but I am curious now, you mentioned the stronger arguments here, whether or not we believe the stronger argument is true that most people don't actually want this. And increasingly, I'm convinced that that's not the case. Yeah, well, let's let, I, I interrupted Justin, so okay. let's go ahead and lay out the stronger form of it. So the stronger form of the argument is that nobody would get in the experience machine, right? Remember, I said the weaker and I think true form of the argument is when you have two experiences, one in the machine and one out in the real world, and they're experientially identical, you want the real one. The question, though, is whether nobody would get in the experience machine. And that is a question about whether or not you would trade the experience that you're having in the real world for these experiences that you can have in the experience machine. And I do think that a lot of people would be willing to trade the experience that they are currently having in the real world for an ex- a spell in the experience machine. 
And I think you would have to kind of be crazy not to think they would do that. Give, I mean, if you look at the way life has been experientially for mankind throughout the past, you know, 100,000 years or whatever, look at people building the pyramids in Egypt, you know, is it going to be like this great, you know, if we say, well, you could plug into the experience machine and you could imagine that you're just laying, you know, beside the the pond with Pharaoh all day, or you know, you could keep being a slave labor building these pyramids. But I mean, how, how awesome is it that you know that this one's the, this is real, right? It seems like a lot of people uh, might say, well, my experience, the choice isn't between two identical experiences. It's between this current experience that I'm having, which is kind of crappy and an experience in the experience machine, which you are saying is going to be awesome and, you know, geared toward my pleasures. Does that make sense? And it seems like in that case, a lot of people might choose the experience machine. Yeah, I think even today, like we actually see instances of people choosing experience machines, right? Like social media is a simulation of reality. Like it's not the same as like physical reality. It's a screen. It presents you certain things and you get certain feedback from the screen, right? There is like a margin on which it's similar to an experience machine. People, you know, we, we know that people get serotonin when people like their photos, right? This is like a, a classic example of like a modern. Now, obviously, it's not nearly as in-depth. Clearly, these are like different things, at least as a matter of degree, if not a matter of kinds. But there's some evidence that people are interested in that now, let alone, you know, we've heard talk about like Zuckerberg bringing up the idea of the metaverse, which is going to be like this online, you know, full integration basically of your life to online that you're going to be able to get into the metaverse and live your life online with other people. Go still, meet still, other avatars. Yeah, still people. involving other people, I guess. So to some extent, that this is a little bit different than the experience machine. I don't know, Justin, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's, I think that's true. That's, that's a fundamental difference. I think that's correct. And as somebody who thinks that actual reality is important, it worries me for the following reason. I think when you look at the experience machine and you say, well, it kind of seems brutal because the picture we get in the experience machine is of this person, you know, whose brain is, you know, floating in a vat attached to electrodes who thinks they're having all these experiences, but really it's this kind of solitary existence alone in a no, you know, this kind of solitary note of existence that isn't part of a community um, isn't connected to other people and is just on this kind of serotonin drip from, uh, from a machine a series of machines that they're connected to. And then I think, you know, Peter, you're exactly right when you look at, you know, um, like social media, which is a good experience machine for a regular social life. And indeed, I think a lot of people make that decision. Pornography is probably an experience machine for, uh, you know, a healthy sexual, you know, relationship. And you go, oh, wait a minute. It kind of seems like that endpoint where it's just this solitary node on a serotonin drip hooked up to machines. That looks like the trajectory we're on anyway. So maybe it's not one experience machine that we plug into. Maybe it's this distributed experience machine, a bunch of these different services that we kind of outsource our, uh, you know, instead of having conversations with people, we, you know, we'll just do social media stuff. Or, I mean, I'm guilty of this. I'll listen to a podcast. And think I've had a conversation with somebody, you know. So I, I I do worry about that. It's not one giant machine. It's a bunch of these separate ones that we think aren't really connected, but collectively together do kind of make this experience machine that we are uh, voluntarily subjecting ourselves to. 
often at uh, the cost of our meat space lives. Well, and I hate to fall into some sort of either or deal here. So I, I think the questions for society and culture is, you know, what does it look like when 80% of the time we're in the experience machine and 20% we're not? And then next year, 90% of our time is in the experience machine and 10% we're not, you know, as that evolves, what, what, what would be some of the outcomes of this? And I'm sorry, but I can't help but get a little bit grim here on, and thinking about suicide. You know, why do people commit suicide? And there's a variety of reasons, but usually their current experiences in actual life are not going very well to some degree. And they feel there's no escape this is not a life worth living. And, you know, I'm not a suicide expert, but I'm, I'm just thinking about, this is almost like the flip side of that in a sense that you're in this simulation where everything's great, but yet you don't have, you've kind of given up control maybe or something with the, the experiences aren't genuinely yours. And so then similarly, like why live? And so would we see uh, potentially suicide rates go up because people are reaching out for this experience life that turns out to not be as fruitful as they think it is? I think there's some danger there, especially because, uh, you know, some people might be, I think people, especially with a a misplaced sense of worth and, and sense of importance will seek that out because they think what they're missing is the experience. You hear this all the time. If I could just, you know, have a lot of money, if I could just, you know, usually these things are tied to experiences. If if only I could experience X, Y, or Z. And I don't think there is fulfillment in those things. And so I think ultimately, as you get closer to people being able to simulate that and people actually go away disappointed with that, I think those meanings that they thought might have been valuable, actually they'll realize aren't that valuable. The experiences actually don't make life worth living by themselves, I don't think. And so, yeah, Russ, I, I do think that's a real concern. Jacob, I think an issue today really with young people getting so involved in social media that they're so invested in like what's happening online rather than in their actual life with the people around them that they take into consideration so much of, oh, I need to be like popular on this app to be able to be known by people when you can make a name for yourself by what you do in your life rather than just on like your phone screen. Um, And that they just get so there's so much time that they put into that, that they struggle with like speech classes because they get so nervous talking in person, but like online, they're perfectly fine. I think that's just an issue that we deal with today because there's so much of that, that, you know, this, this is generation Y generation got like the first rollout into the internet that we just got put right into it and didn't have like this little middle ground where we kind of was, was like leaned into it and stuff. We just was thrown straight into it. I think that's a big issue today with people. Yeah. Yeah. That they're making their identity. Um, right. And, and that just makes it all the more easier to get addicted to it essentially. And, and to try to live that life more fully and get sucked in even deeper as you, as you do it. So it's, it's definitely, I think, dangerous that way, similar, similar to drugs. So Nozick talked about suicide in the experience machine. Interesting. Oh, he did. Yes, but not in the way that you might be thinking. So I take it what you were saying is something like um, this might uh, raise rates of suicide or contribute to suicide. Nozick explicitly says plugging into the experience machine is a kind of suicide Mm -hmm. um, because it is 
uh, completely removing your consciousness from any possible interaction it can have with any other consciousness or the actual real world. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, t- let's talk about the Jesus machine for a second, because I can't help but think some of the claims of Christianity are that, you know, you, you, the good life awaits you with, with faith in Jesus Christ, uh, eternal life, in fact. And if you talk to Christians who are, are pretty committed, um, I think most of the time, not always, uh, you're going to find somebody who can roll with the punches with life, right? And they just look at life a little bit differently when challenges hit. They seem to just kind of uh, move on, absorb them, and, and just live their life a little bit differently. And so I'm, I'm thinking about the experiences of life and how that changes when you have Jesus on your side. And so I guess I'm calling it the Jesus machine in, <laughs> in terms of the effort of this podcast, but, but really it's, it's, it's real life. It's, it's not a machine. It's an augmentation of real life. Yeah, well, I, th- I think pretty clearly the experience machine to me is anti-Christian. Uh, and I, I don't mean anti-Christian that it's trying to destroy Christians. I, I mean anti-Christian in the sense that uh, I don't think a Christian in good conscience who has thought, you know, this machine through uh, would be able to step into the experience machine for their whole lives at least. Yeah. You know, maybe like, you know, like some forms of escapism, like there's an amount that would be acceptable. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. But not your whole life because I, I think like a clear call of the Christian is to spread the gospel. Like that seems to be, if there's anything, it's love Jesus, love your neighbors and, and make try to make disciples yeah. of all nations or, or be used to make disciples of all nations. You can't do most of that call. If actually any of that call inside the experience machine, you can't truly love others because the people in the experience machine aren't real. You can't really love God. I don't think because you're, you're not listening to and obeying, you know, God's commands of, of uh, you know, loving others. Cause it's externally coming to you, these experiences. That, that's right. right. In yeah. a sense. Now yeah. we could say, well, God created the machine, which is probably true, but, but, but God didn't Satan put the people well. in the machine, right? <laughs> so as far uh, as the Christian doctrine would say that, well, there's another competing force here of evil that might've developed something as well to keep you away from God. Yeah. And, and people, try to do this all, all the time. They, they try to say, well, for example, I don't need to go to church because, you know, I have my one-on-one relationship with God. The Bible is pretty explicit that that's not really, you know, something that you can have by itself. Like you can't just on an island have a relationship with God and then have it connected to nothing in your life from a tr- classic Christian perspective, at least. Yeah. The church is part of what you're called to be in, which the church involves real people. Evangelizing involves talking to real people. Like it or not, the Christian faith is a social faith. You can't have uh, a lived out social faith in a machine that uh, literally cuts you off from the world. Yeah, so I, I think I see a positive here from a Christian perspective. If, if, if you're one of those Christians listening that, that are like, don't like the way society's going and we've lost our Christian faith and beginnings and blah, blah, blah. Well, to me, the trajectory looks kind of clear here that if, if the experience machine starts to take over a lot of people's lives, non-Christians and maybe some Christians alike, the Christians will be the one fighting back against the machine in a sense. And that means that we might have uh, Christians start to dominate. I think, uh, you know, if Christians are the ones that are believers in, in life, um, I'm not trying to bring up an abortion thing here, but just in, in, in populating life here on earth, if birth rates continue to be higher because of the, in part, at least the Christian faith, then 
society might have a, a shot here in 100 years as the experience machine starts to get better and better and better. Maybe the at least the fraction of those uh, looking at the Christian perspective might improve and they might might find uh, faith that way as well. Justin? Uh, so I would say that one of the things that the experience machine plays on is the fact that everybody wants pleasure, right? And if you are a Christian, um, I think one of the things that the Christian message tells you is to not worry about that so much because you're going to get that later, right? Heaven kind of sounds like a pleasurable experience machine <laughs> in a way, right? Yeah. But one of the messages of the gospels is something like, no, you actually, your point here is to focus on what's real, focus on those people around you. And so I think, you know, the gospels and the Christian message does a good job not authorizing your want for pleasure to be this kind of, or even happiness to be this kind of overriding desire that allows you to ignore the things going on in your real life. Jesus yeah. always seems to be saying like, look at what's around you. You know, you owe the, you know, uh, you owe these people. Yeah. J- Justin, I totally agree with you. In fact, like that there's almost like an essence to this idea of the experience machine that that's satanic in nature. And I, like, I'm not trying to say this in like a spiritual forces type of way, just in like what Satan is. And you think of what his role is in, in the world. Think of how Satan tempted Jesus. Satan said, look at all these, like, standing off the cliff, look at all these kingdoms. I'm going to give you all these kingdoms, basically. I, and, and, you know, part of this was a, you know, it's Jesus's world anyways. But part of this was also a call to Jesus. Like, how about you forget the whole crucifixion plan? Necessarily that Satan fully understood that. But basically saying, how about you avoid the suffering side of your story and just take on the rulership side of your story? That's what happens when Satan in the desert is tempting Jesus with ruling all the earthly cities. Christians were called to deny ourselves uh, and follow Jesus in that pattern of saying, nope, I'm not here purely for worldly pleasure or to sit on top of some sort of fake throne that, you know, can't even really be offered to me. Almost, you know, the essence of the satanic is to to sacrifice things in order to not actually get the things that you think you want. Like that's almost the essence of, of cult behavior or occult behavior is let me sacrifice something. And like, this is the, the monkey's paw. I wish for something and it actually becomes a nightmare. This is the same idea is that I think once you step into the experience machine, like we mentioned earlier, people realize that it's not actually what they wanted to in the first place. And you've already made a sacrifice to do that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think there is really a, a deep uh, connection here to, uh, you know, just so, some easy, some shortcuts in life. I'd like to add to that, um, agreeing with Justin, that heaven sounds pretty pleasurable, but at the same time, I think Christian uh, scripture is pretty clear that heaven is going to be a flesh and blood experience. Jesus came down with flesh and blood. The Bible uh, shows heaven to be an experiential thing, but with us being flesh and blood, not yeah. simulated, we'll still have real relationships in that. So, so I think we're on the right track with Christianity and uh, we can, we'll probably dabble with a little experience machines as we do today, um, but maybe we'll have the power of Jesus to fend off the more gruesome outcomes that could become uh, on the horizon with uh, as experience machines develop more here in society. All right. Well, that looks like a good spot to wrap. This has been a production of the Gordon Institute here at Ottawa University. Thank you all for listening. And I hope you tell your friends about us. A five-star rating helps us climb the ranks and uh, lets other people know that we're out here and, and talk about the things that we do. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.